All right, hello everybody. This is Brian Castle. We're back with the Four Star Podcast, and we'll title this "The Aftermath." Uh, we've been dealing with a very wild market uh, for the last uh, two weeks or so, and uh, not all bad, but wild for sure. Uh, and of course, as usual, uh, back with me today uh, for a full issue of our podcast is Mr. Chris Reardon. Chris, hello everyone out there. Glad our, to be here. And Chris is our Four Star Director of Development. I call him Master of All Things Portfolio Trading and Reports. Uh, systems. He still loves his Cleveland Indians. He was raised near the factory of Sadness, home of the not-so-resurgent Cleveland Browns. And again, welcome, Chris, to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, I'm Brian Castle, and I'm the founder and CEO of Four Star Wealth Advisors in Chicago. I'm an Eagle Scout, trustee of the National Boy Scout Foundation, advisor to CEOs and insiders, chief investment officer, and most importantly, dad to Evan and Quinn and husband to the amazing Tripti. Uh, and we're fans of the not-so-resurgent Chicago Bears, um, and uh, we'll see uh, how things go as the, the new season opens up. The Cubs and White Sox are getting ready to open up right now. But let's get back to the markets, uh, what's happening. Uh, we've been dealing with a very wild market. Uh, the last uh, podcast, I did a solo version last week just to give some interim thoughts on it. A lot has changed since uh, February 19th when the market topped out at all-time highs, and then we've had this completely panicked market going downward. Yep, a lot's changed uh, since really our last podcast. What what a difference two weeks makes, really. Um, but yeah, last week was uh, volatile. Even this week, um, I mean, volatility on the upside and downside uh, we've seen. Um, mostly event-driven, though. I mean, I think, and that's something we've talked about in the past. Um, and what does that mean? Um, you know, it's not because some economic indicators, although there are some, uh, and it's kind of what we would expect. I don't mm -hmm. think there's any surprises. Um, we're seeing some slowdown in China, things like that. Uh, but that was pretty much to be expected. Uh, but mostly it's been news of uh, COVID-19 or the coronavirus, um, news of it spreading, things like that. So it's been kind of this, um, you know, almost... Uh, stampede kind of if you can imagine people rushing here from this news rushing there um you know it's it's really hard to gather you know what's going on really and what's what's going to happen i mean you know there's a lot of unknowns out there right now absolutely uh when we did our podcast last week or i did the solo podcast last week we still had not seen any of our indicators that turned negative but we were right on the cusp so we did that taping thursday morning uh the 26th Seventh, I think that is. I think so. And then by the afternoon, we did get some indicators that changed. And mm -hmm. so let's talk about uh, what happened. Chris, about half of our indicators turned negative, right? Correct. Yeah, I think uh, it was late Thursday going into Friday, we uh, half of our indicators did turn, and we were once again kind of expecting that. I think when we looked at it Thursday when you taped, uh, or Wednesday or Thursday when you taped, Thursday um, morning. yeah, um, they were close, but they hadn't. So we Had kind of like... We we're going to have another bad day or really we were pretty much expecting them to kind of turn down at that point. And we certainly did. And then Friday, uh, markets opened down even worse. But then we got an intraday rally. The market still opened down, but they were up substantially from the bottom. So we were selling into that rally into the late morning and into the mid-afternoon. So um, right now, the positioning of the major asset classes still is U.S. stocks are ranked number one as far as uh, overall tally scores, meaning still ranked higher than all the other assets and all the other asset classes. But position number two has been uh, changed. International growth stocks are out of position number two and fixed income is ranked number two. So why would that happen? So 
Uh, let's talk about that for a minute. Fixed income is basically a low risk investment and the bond prices can change, but they change a percent here or there, not substantial, unless you buy longer term bonds and they do offer some, some you know, much more stock-like price movements, but not very, not very normal. Uh, then the interest is very, very low. That's been one of the big issues for investors that when the interest rates started to rise a few years ago, as the economy started getting better, savers and uh, fixed income folks are doing better because interest rates were rising. Now we've been seeing interest rates go down and we had another interest rate cut uh, yesterday. Or today. Or today, that's right. And uh, another half, full half a point. We'll talk about that. So there's not a lot of expected return out of fixed income. So all that's saying is everything else is ranked lower than essentially a pretty riskless investment with fixed income income giving a little bit of return if interest rates continue to go down and the markets go down better than international stocks which are expected to go down yeah and even um the biggest mm -hmm. news i guess in the fixed income markets today um obviously we had that uh, 50 basis points or half a percent uh rate cut by the fed uh, which I think for most people, it wasn't necessarily a surprise. People were expecting it to happen. I, th I think it was a surprise that it happened today. It kind of came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, what, what we saw from that is for the first time ever, uh, the U.S. 10-year Treasury um, yield. So kind of if you bought a U.S. 10-year Treasury at the current price, um, over a 10-year period, what it would yield you is less than 1%, which is pretty uh, crazy. The reason it's it's gone sub 1% is... Um, you know, markets are a little more volatile. People tend to buy more conservative investments, kind of a flight to safety. Um, U.S. Treasuries are considered extremely safe um, for the most part because it's backed by the U.S. government. Um, so what you do is when people continuously buy them, you have that demand that drives up the price. The higher the price, the less you're going to get. Right. And so usually when you have that demand for bonds, prices rise. What's called yields get lower, so people get a little less return on your investment. So it's gone so far now that it's gone low, lower than 1%. Um, so, I mean, think about that over 10 years, if you invested, you know, $100,000 in a 10 year bond, you were going to get less than 1% return on that. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, so whether we use the fixed income asset for the second position or not is still in question and we're still trying to decide our strategy right now uh the dynamic account which is uh the fur the only absolute model that we have which could go to 100 percent cash is 50 percent in growth assets half us and half international that is pegged to be sold relatively soon mm -hmm. and then we've had some fixed income in there for a while uh there there was no clear uh, mandate between position two and three because they were they were scored so closely. So we kind of straddled it. We kept some international stocks and some fixed income, but the international stocks are waning, and we'll probably let more of those uh, go. Uh, the ETFs of international stocks, meaning sell them, and probably either hang on to the fixed income or maybe and not add anymore, or maybe add some more. So we're still kind of working through our strategy there. But it's been good to have that cash. It's been good to have the fixed income in there, obviously for the dynamic returns. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, on the podcast last week, we talked a little bit about just the general view of the overall markets and 80 to 85 percent of the time, most markets are slowly rising with different pullback periods of, you know, 10 to 15 percent and then rallies and they continue to go back up. And that's what we've had. We had a, a severe uh, fourth quarter of 2018 when things got a little sloppy, but it was a, just a, a smart correction 
and it came back, right? So yep. then the 2019 was a good year. This year, 2020 started out to be a good year through February 19th. Uh, and most of that time, we were in that 80 to 85% market where things are generally going up. It's slow. Volatility is low. Everyone seems to be somewhat happy. Not then, uh, 15 to 20% of the time, we're in correcting markets, difficult markets. And that's kind of what we're in right now. And it may end up uh, stopping here. Uh, it's possible that the declines are over. Uh, so naturally, when we had this terrible couple days in the previous week and then the terrible week, the market was down 12% for the entire week. That's a lot in just one week. Then, um, of course, you know we saw an intraday rally on Friday. On Monday, we had one of the largest single point moves upward. But it was only about a 4% move. It's a big move, but it isn't certainly a record move by any stretch. But you know that was like a relief rally, let's call that, right? Yep. So then uh, today, Tuesday, we're seeing the market down again, but then some relief rallies internal, certain groups are doing better and that kind of thing. So market's looking for some kind of direction, very volatile, you called it uh, something about- Event-driven, you mean? Event-driven, heartbeat monitor. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, we were looking at the, um, the market this morning and I was just kind of, yeah, it looked like Futures, I think, were about flat, and then they were going to open up big. And then some, I think, news about the virus came out. It went down large, and then the Fed came and did the 50% interest rate cut, and mm -hmm. it went up. I mean, it literally looked like, you know, heartbeat monitor. It was up, down, up, down, up, down. Yeah, it was, it was very was, volatile. It's crazy. So, and again, in that 80 to 85% of the time when the markets are uh, slowly rising, volatility is low. There's a volatility index. And if that volatility index is like south of the number 20, how they measure the index, it's a very low uh, low volatility market. Mm -hmm. But the volatility index way, you know, doubled, tripled those numbers during this whole period of time. So volatility is high. Markets are questionable in the short run. Uh, this too shall pass, but there's a question of how long it'll take. Let me just uh, walk into some of the things again that we said the other day. Uh, we're not in technically a bear market. A bear market requires a 20% move down from the high, the highs of February 19th. So at least we're still not in a bear market. Um, and then the catastrophic collapse markets, like the, the oil crisis in the 1970s when the market was down over 75%, uh, the technology crash of 2000 to 2002 when the markets were down, uh, the averages were down about 58%, but certain sectors like technology were down 70, 75%, brutal, brutal market. And then 2008 to 2009, starting in 07, actually, uh, that market was also down about 55%, but there was a lot of other pain underlying, certainly in real estate and mortgages and certain financing stocks did much, much worse. So to create an average of down 55. So we're nowhere near that. Um, we talked about raising cash. Let me talk a little bit about that concept. I've had a few questions from folks that said, when you say you're raising cash, what does that mean? So in our world, we always own something. We own uh, stocks or bonds or international stocks or commodities or something, right? And when we don't own anything, we sit in cash and cash is like money markets or, or bank deposits or something like that. So we say that we're raising cash we're raising the percent of money in cash, which by, by, by definition means we have to sell something else, right? There's only 100% of what we're working with. So if we're raising the percentage of cash, we have to sell something. And so in this market, we've been selling stocks, uh, US stocks and international stocks to raise that cash. 
So um, anyway, so we, we got uh, our, our first set of indicators to turn. About half of the indicators have turned negative. And so now the dynamic account is 25% in U.S. stocks in position one. And that position one is half cash, half exactly. in the money market, right? Yep. The second position was international. Now it's fixed income. But we still have some international names in there, and we're catching a rally here. And then also 10% uh, of the portfolio is in fixed income in, in, in a fund that is doing very well. So we're, we're making our decisions here very soon as to whether we're going to sell the remaining international and then whether we take that cash and buy bonds with it, fixed income or not. Uh, we're not even sure whether that makes even any sense here with interest rates so low and the expected return on the upside uh, not as much as it was. So uh, that's where we stand right now. Uh, Chris had talked about uh, in previous podcasts about the uh, indicators turning, and we have a what we call a bogey check on all the on all the six major asset classes, and they either are in a, are in a pass or a fail position. Those are six of our indicators, and all of them have turned to fail. Yep. So uh, so half of the indicators are all negative, and all that means is that if you have a trend chart up or down. All of them have been trending downward at this point, right? Yeah, recently. So, um, so that so that's why the U.S. sector portfolio uh, and the international growth part of the dynamic have gone partially to cash. And then we also have an X's and O's column on the U.S. sector and the growth and income portfolio, mm -hmm. and those have gone to O's as compared to X's. X's is in a rising market. O's is in a declining market. So the fact that those are O's, those portfolios also raised half of the cash position they normally would raise. Mm -hmm. So since they would go to 50% cash in the worst case scenario, they're at 75% invested, 25% cash. So that's how we play it. So we have another set of indicators that could turn, and then we would be maximum cash. The last time we were that uh, way was in 2015, uh, when we were hunkering down for what we thought might be another seriously bad bear market. Turned out back then that market only went down about 25 to 30 percent, depending on what index. Uh, from the highs, most investors lost money in 2015, but because the markets had been up, they only lost single digits. They gave up their gains and lost single digits. And we, most of our clients, did not lose money. Uh, that year, mm -hmm. uh, because uh, the models picked up the indicators and went to uh, you know cash positions, high cash positions, and so we managed to dodge some of that decline, which was nice. Yeah, so. and that going into 2016, I think it kind of started the reversal upwards about mid February, early to mid February, mm -hmm. um, and we got back to fully invested. I think it was like the first week of April, and we had been slowly kind of edging back in the market. Mm -hmm. The last indicator was like April, we were back in and on offense. So, you know. Yeah, so the, so the coronavirus is a very big uncertainty and that's why we are where we are. And we're not healthcare professionals necessarily, but we're watching it all very closely. And the coronavirus is an issue because we don't understand it yet. And a lot of people are dying uh, and more people than in a long time. There's been the SARS uh, scare, the, you know, the H, H, H1N1, all the different uh, health scares that have happened over the years. Um, and so Ebola as well. So um, again, we're unsure how, how this will play out. So in the short run, it's an event-driven news item, uh, but it could end up being a fundamental issue. I know they've closed borders, they've closed off cities, they've stopped uh, plane flights, they've, you know, the president has issued certain countries and certain regions of countries not to go into 
uh, it's advisory. So, so we're, we're slowing a lot of things down and a lot of business is not happening. Yeah, and it's kind of going into, um, going into this market or going into this year, I guess you should say, in January, some of the preliminary numbers we saw actually is we saw an uptick in business investment. So kind of before this really broke mm -hmm. out, um, you know, we had some positives from the trading front. Um, the U.S. signed the preliminary uh, kind of the uh, the first trade agreement with China. So we had some, but we really haven't seen the impact it's going to have on the U.S. markets quite yet. Uh, we're starting to see some trickles out of China, although China is obviously greatly more affected, I think, than the U.S. right now. I mean, they're quarantining entire cities, but, um, you know, we really don't know the economic impact yet. Um, it's definitely going to have one. We don't really know if, yeah. whether how severe it's going to be or what. So, but as time goes on, every single day we learn more about what's going on with this virus. Uh, they're quickly working on vaccines and other ways to combat the spread of it. So it, it seems, and, and this is usually how it is, in the beginning per period of an unknown, everyone acts and react, reacts the most severely, and that's what we're seeing right now. Yeah. Uh, last week was a panic market. There's no question about it. Uh, how can you measure what the earnings of a company will be if you have no idea how the company will be affected and what will be shut off and what supply lines will be shut off? We know supply lines out of China are virtually closed in some areas. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of companies are canceling conferences, so it's affecting travel. Uh, I'm ironically going to two conferences this weekend <laughs> in the United States, so it's not totally affected us here uh, in Miami and in Phoenix. Uh, but uh, and there's been fear that more of that is going to go on. Uh, the Federal Reserve has has canceled most of their out of uh, out of city meetings. All the Fed banks are staying in their local Fed bank for a period of time. Uh, so anyway, it, it's uh, going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, so we had this terrible week of six uh, of uh, last week, and the market was down about 12 percent. But just to keep it all in perspective. Uh, in the middle of the correction of the 2007 to 2009 market, uh, the market had already been down. The high was in November of 2007. By the fall of 2008, we were still moving downward. But then some bad news, Lehman Brothers failed, some other bad news came out. And the market went down that week 23.4% between October 6th and October 10th. I remember it like it was yesterday because I was supposed to take a trip to meet my family. And I actually deferred the trip until the weekend. Uh, that Monday was Columbus Day, so the markets were only partially open. Banks weren't open. Mm -hmm. And the stock market was up about 12% that day. Big up day. Wow. So even though uh, the big rally yesterday was the biggest point rally in history, it was only about a third of what that, that Monday was. Now, I think that Monday was distorted because it was a holiday and, and only the buyers arrived and the sellers apparently were still somewhere. They weren't at the beach. so. Uh, but, but anyway, uh, so, so this 4% rally certainly by any stretch was no long, was not, might have been the largest single point rally, but certainly as a percentage was only a third of what the, the largest single day rally was in history. And that was uh, in October 13th, 2008. So... Uh, Chris and I were talking uh, uh, earlier about how the media does things to our heads. They try to convince us things are worse than they are. They also try to convince us sometimes that things are better than they are. And they certainly love to make noise. So they want to come up with a superlative. And they say things like, the market was up more points than ever before, mm -hmm. right? Well, <clears throat> that really doesn't tell the story, but they say stuff like that. And everybody gets all jazzed up and they get excited. And then they think, well, the market's over. L let's talk about... You know what really happens though 
the media is just selling us on on concepts and ideas because they're trying to keep our eyeballs on their screen to see the next commercial come by so they can get paid more. Um, and they'll give us information, but it might be a little bit distorted. Uh, the reality is, is usually when we have a downward moving market like this, and then we have such a dysfunctional week where the market collapses, we have a relief rally day, and now we're down a little bit more. Usually the market will retest whatever low was established in the worst days. So we're going to retest the lows of Friday, and most most of the time the markets break through those those lows. Uh, even in even in the uh, October 2008 market that was so terrible that one week markets did rally for a little bit and then broke the lows again in November uh, a little bit later on. So we'll see. Uh, the odds are that that would happen that we go a little bit lower from here. But the question is, how much lower? And do we even go lower? Maybe we don't. Maybe we get lucky and we don't. So those are a lot of the unknowns that we don't really have a handle on right now. And, and that's why we don't try to predict what's going to happen. We try to look at what's going on in the market, watch our trend indicators. And when we see that the risk is high, uh, we start to take corrective action. We talk in terms of turning the light switch on or off is either on or off. It's one way or the other. But when we do portfolio work, we consider it to be like the dimmer switch. So the light is on when the market's rallying most of the time, but then when we turn the light off, we slowly turn it down in a series of movements to get us out, evidence-based. And then when it's time to get back in with, that, with those dollars, we'll do the same thing, and we'll slowly turn the light back on in a series of indicators. So, and that's really the only way, evidence-wise, we feel it can be done. Uh, we'll certainly miss some opportunities. Uh, some people like to buy into uh, declining markets. Uh, some people like to say, hey, this stock is down 10% today. Let me buy some. It'll, it'll jump or whatever. Well, you can certainly make a little bit of money trading like that. We don't do that with client portfolios and the, and the managed portfolios, but individual folks obviously do things like that on their own from time to time. We're not going to sit there and try to pick the bottom. We're going to wait till our indicators start turning back up. Then we'll get mm -hmm. back fully on offense. And uh, we may lose a little bit in that first initial bump up, but we're confident we can catch up by the, you know, whether it's the end of the year or whatever, utilizing our relative strength strategies. Well, and, and uh, just one more item of perspective. I remembered I was checking my notes here. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm uh, vintage enough in the industry to have been around in October of 1987 for Black Monday, October uh, 19th, 1987. And the market that day was down 508 points, right? But it was only 500 points. And Monday was up 1,200 points, right? So Monday is better? Well, not really, because October 19th, 1987 was down 21% on the market because the market started that day at 2,200 on the Dow. So if you take 500 points off of that, that's a 21% move. So big move. So anyway, all the moves we've gone through, while uncomfortable and dire, uh, clearly don't uh, measure up with the, the best crashes of out there, right? So uh, let's hope it stays that way. Uh, the Fed lowered rates, and Chris talked about that. Uh, the, the lowering the rates is a sense that uh, they're concerned that the economy will slow down from the coronavirus. Um, you know, we're a little worried that the Fed is getting a little too political. I know the president uh, certainly is no, no one to shut his mouth. And so whenever he decides something, he just says it right away. And he's been jawboning the Fed for weeks now to lower rates and because the rest of the world has lower rates. And he thought our rates were too high, that the economy could be stronger if rates were lower. I'm not sure he's right on that. 
um, uh, because rates usually lag the increase in the economy. So the economy was strong as it was. Yep. But um, you know now the rates have been lowered. Uh, you know we kind of wonder whether the Fed went too far with it. Um, maybe the Fed uh, lowering rates will help earnings of companies and will help uh, the economy grow. But I don't think the Fed can do anything about this virus. Do you? No. I mean, I think the way you think about it is uh, the the Fed usually usually raises or lowers or their rates. I guess in twenty or twenty five basis point or a quarter of a percentage points. Uh, so they kind of essentially did two. What people would say is two uh, rate cuts uh, today. Um, you know, a lot of people and, you know, if you guys, for our listeners, if you uh, read any kind of financial news out there, what they'll say is the Fed had, you know, four, let's say, shots of steroids they could put in the U.S. market, mm-hmm. um, you know, 425 basis point rate lowers, and they just used half of them. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, today they just, the market just kind of took it and kept going down, at least for today. So we'll see. Maybe tomorrow the market will react differently. Maybe people will digest it and say, well, with this recent rate cut, with all this stuff, let's buy. This is great buying, and maybe the buyers will take over. We, we don't really know. Um, but, you know, we only time will tell. I mean, maybe it was the right move, or maybe it wasn't. Um, you know, I, like Brian said, we think maybe do a 25 basis point or something, but I think that was a lot. Uh, doing a 50 basis point and it's almost a surprise 50 basis points it's almost like they wanted to kind of catch us and say hey you know the last couple of years we've been telegraphing expecting expecting they wanted to surprise the market you know and hopefully that we take it and you know run with it upwards one one positive thing that happens in market periods of time like this is you know they always say that um uh, you know, the market tends to wash out the excesses of previous markets. So whenever we go through a long-term bull market, a rally, uh, certain groups get way overpriced. Uh, we have themes that develop and people get excited. Uh, names like Tesla and Amazon run up and, you know, to, uh, you know, wildly uh, speculative values. Uh, and it's fine as long as it keeps going, but then sometimes those things pop. So uh, um, company Wayfair, one of the uh, uh, home uh, improvement or home implement uh, and home supply retailers, was talking about how they need to work more for toward profitability as investors' appetite for unprofitable companies wanes. So when you go through periods of time, all of a sudden people go back to, gee, what's important today? Is this company earning any money? Uh, maybe we shouldn't own this stock, and mm-hmm. and so the, some of the stocks become more volatile. Anybody who uh, remembers the tech boom, who's vintage enough to remember that, remembers names like Yahoo and Excite, and a whole bunch of other names that I don't even remember. Uh, and where are they now? Uh, markets get frothy. They'll they'll bring IPOs public of crazy companies that people will buy, and and we've seen a little bit of that lately. Um, you know, Grubhub and other things, and eventually it doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. So markets like this will clean out uh, problems that are in the market. And so there, you know, someone's ox has to get gored, as they say. So um, there's, a, there's an element of cleanup that goes on in periods of time like now. Uh, so we'll see where things end up. Uh, for now, uh, we are about half uh, in protection mode and half invested. Um, and, and then we'll see, we, we go forward from here, we wait, and then we watch, and then we react to the evidence that we see. So we sincerely hope that our move to half cash or 25% cash in the U.S. sector and growth and income moderate uh, and the move to 50% cash in the dynamic, we hope that move is wrong. And let me explain what I mean by that. 
um, that mean, means that the markets don't go down much anymore. We always want the markets to go up. We're not hoping for the markets to go down just because we sold something. Uh, we know that if the markets turn around and go back up, we'll be holding cash and maybe we'll lag for a little while in the portfolios because we're holding more cash than other investors. Certainly indexes don't hold any cash. But we also know that through relative strength and people have seen the power of relative strength and the selection that we do, we're able to beat markets and rising markets quite handily over a period of time. So we know that even if we're carrying too much cash for a period of time, we can put that money back in and then right from that point on start the process of catching up to the indexes. And so we're confident we've done that in pretty much every market cycle. So we're confident that we can uh, potentially do that again. So we're not worried about having too much cash. We are much more worried about having markets collapse, collapse and holding too much equity and too much risk. So we'd rather take less risk than more risk. And so we're focused on making sure that our investors don't have a 30, 40, or 50% decline in the portfolio. Anybody who remembers uh, the 2008-2009 period of time, the retirees who retired in 2005, 6, and 7, many of them had to go to back to work because they weren't planning on a big market crash. Same thing happened in the tech crash in the early 2000s where people uh, you know, didn't account for bad markets in their planning which is what we do in all of our financial plans, but many people don't plan that way, and it changes lives. So we want to make sure that we um, help people establish a lifestyle, be realistic about their goals, be realistic about what cash flow can happen from a portfolio, then also build into it market dysfunction, because we see it. It always happens. Mm -hmm. It's like human experience. It's like human emotion. Markets are just a study in human emotion, and so um, markets react uh, as they're going to. So um, we're more focused on not losing substantial amount of money than making money. Of course, we believe we do very well in making money and we beat markets on the upside. Um, but clearly, uh, to wipe out an entire decade's worth of gains, one down 50% market can do that pretty quickly. So we're focused on uh, minimizing the downside. Yep, minimize the downside. Uh, and, you know, we'll try to beat it on the upside, but I think minimizing the downside is much more important in the long-term financial gain of our clients. You know, that's what we kind of believe. Absolutely. So uh, a couple uh, rather somber podcasts uh, recently. We hope things uh, go back to better times. Uh, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a further update and any extraordinary uh, issues that come into the market. We'll do a special just to tell people what we're thinking at the time. Right now, we're about half half protective. We're not quite fully uh, Armageddon mode. Um, <laughs> hopefully, down. yeah, we're, we're not quite, we're half hunkered down. Uh, and we hope that's as far as it gets. So um, wishing everybody a great day and a great weekend. Uh, this is the Four Star Podcast for, what is today, the 3rd of, the 3rd of March. March. Thanks for being with us. We'll be back very soon.